Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Abel Torres. I'm Professor and Chair of Dermatology at the University of Florida in Gainesville. And I will be joined here today by Dr. Kang Wen, who is the Director of Inpatient Dermatology at Ascension Seton Medical Center and Dell Seton Medical Center. He has also served as Chair of the Health Information Technology Committee of the American Academy of Dermatology. We, he will be helping to guide us today through our topic, which is basically understanding patients' rights to access medical records. And before we get into the topic itself, let me just give you a little bit of background to help the listener understand. So we know that dermatologists must comply with new government rules on information blocking, which is defined as preventing the proper flow of digital health information between providers and patients. And beginning on October 6th of 2022, HHS information blocking requirements shifted to the entire electronic protected health information or the EHI. Now the EHI includes information that would be included in a designated record set or DRS. And the DRS is a group of records maintained by or for a HIPAA covered entity, such as physicians and hospitals. And that includes medical records and billing records about individuals, and enrollment, payment, claims, adjudication, and case or medical management record maintained by health plans. EHI specifically excludes psychotherapy notes as defined by HIPAA and information compiled in advance of a legal proceeding. And in addition, there are also some other exceptions that are allowed, and Dr. Wen will guide us through that. So without further ado then, let me start by asking you, Dr. Wen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice setting? Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. So I am a member of the Division of Dermatology and an assistant professor of internal medicine at Dell Medical School. I currently work at both an academic medical center and a community health clinic. This combination really allows me to provide care to a diverse range of patients. And I take care of patients in both the inpatient and outpatient settings. I clinically have a particular interest in medical and inpatient dermatology. A lot of what we'll talk about, though, really does touch upon issues that come up in the outpatient setting. And what does patient access to medical records look like in your practice? Yeah, in our practice, patients have immediate access to medical records as soon as things are finalized. That includes visit notes, as well as lab results, biopsy results. Okay. Now, do you ever run into hesitations from patients to adopt the use of like portals to access those records? And how do you help them get over those hesitations if it does happen? Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah. So it's hard to believe it's we've been doing this for some time already, but patients still express a lot of concerns about the difficulty of signing up for and checking a portal. I think I've been privileged to grow up immersed in so much technology that it can be easy to forget how daunting it can be to use a computer or phone and let alone now you got to combine it with trying to look up and understand medical information as a non-clinician. So to help my patients with any hesitations that they have, I will take a moment during the visit to just really quickly explain the benefits of the portals. And so patients are particularly excited when they learn how quickly 
they're able to get the results, how they might be able to look up their visit notes if they forget something, and how a lot of the information they need to take care of themselves, to take charge of their care can be kept in one location. In places where I've practiced, we've really helped patients with overcoming their hesitation by helping them sign up for portals during office visits, maybe at the time of check-in or check-out. And we also provide ample signage throughout our clinic on how to get themselves signed up for medical porters and how to access their information. These signs have been placed in exam rooms. They've been in waiting rooms. They're even in bathrooms. And they go through a lot of what I might mention quickly during the patient visit. That might include the benefits of using the portals and also just simply how to sign up, including a link. And just beyond having my own involvement and also having signage throughout the office, office staff play a huge role. And also, you know, taking on the burden of talking to patients, helping them to understand the benefit of using healthcare portals to access their information. But at the heart of it, I do want to emphasize one thing, that we physicians are probably the biggest. We play one of the biggest roles in persuading patients to sign up for portals. According to some 2020 data from the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, 71% of individuals encouraged by their physician to use a portal did so, as opposed to just 48% who, who are not. So that's uh, we're moving the needle quite a bit in getting people to adopt the portals. Yeah, I think that's very important because it's it's not just, you know, nowadays people are very afraid also about information being stolen or being usurped in other ways. So I think, you know, they have that trust in the physician and the data clearly shows that if the physician encourages it, they feel that confidence that they can use those portals. So yes. let me ask you another question. Can you briefly tell us what is information blocking and how this might play out in a dermatology practice? Yeah, so... I guess more technical definition is essentially that information blocking is a practice by an actor that is likely to interfere with the access, exchange, or use of electronic health information, except as uh, required by law or specified in an information blocking exception. In simpler terms, in more layman's terms, it would be that basically any sort of action by a person, by a party that prevents patients from being able to access their medical information. But even though the definition might be simple, implementing, understanding it can be quite challenging and tricky. Yeah. As they say, the devil is in the details, right? Exactly. All right. So can you tell us how your practice handles information blocking requirements? Yeah. You know, as we, we talked about, we have adopted, I think, one of the, the strictest and maybe most open forms of, of avoiding information blocking, which is that as results are finalized, patients will receive those results at the same time as the physician. So that includes, you know, some lab test results or an emerging biopsy result. Gotcha. So we talked a little bit about the, the patient's hesitancy, but dermatologists are hesitant sometimes too. What are some of the biggest concerns that dermatologists have with regard to patient access to this information? One of the biggest concerns, and this is one that has been one that we expected before the information blocking rules came into play. And we've observed to a degree as people have started to change policies to make patient access to information more immediate, is that patients will receive lab results or other diagnostic reports prior to any clinician having a chance to review it. And prior to them even having a chance to discuss with the patient uh, what the result means. So an example of a fear among a lot of us, uh, a lot of dermatologists, is what if a patient receives a biopsy report 
and it's got a confusing diagnosis, a scary sounding diagnosis. What if it's melanoma, one of our scariest diagnoses? And the patient receives it before you, the dermatologist, are even aware. So often with these sorts of events, these sorts of diagnoses, these biopsy reports, the impact of learning about something confusing or serious is lessened when a patient receives that information from a caring physician who you know, can put that information into context, can reassure them about the treatment options and the next steps forward. But when a patient just gets a biopsy report, there's nobody there. There's perhaps no text. There's no, no other explanation. All they see is perhaps one scary word, melanoma, or uh, some other diagnosis that's very scary. So one other thing to realize is also, in many cases, an isolated lab or biopsy result alone may not completely establish a, a clear diagnosis for a patient. And it must be considered in the context of an entire clinical picture, one that hopefully the dermatologist has in mind. And so when a patient receives just test result, be it a blood test result or a random biopsy, it can also be extremely confusing and scary to a patient. Yeah, we're also here with the fact that, you know, you may get a diagnosis, but the clinical is really going to be key to making the final diagnosis. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, absolutely. With all our training, we help to put that into context. And so what can happen as a result of this is that patients become quite anxious and they may reach out to the, your office with frantic phone calls or messages. And to be honest, it's quite understandable if that's the case. But of course, it, it adds unnecessary stress to not only the patient's lives, but also the lives of the staff, the hospital or clinic staff, as well as of the physician. So with that all in mind, since there are currently no national guidelines indicating how test result notification should be released, what is your practice approach to releasing test results in light of patient concerns? So there are a couple of things that you can do in advance of it. So, you know, at the visit, we let patients know that they may be receiving a result before anybody has had a chance to review it. So I think the first thing is there's good communication upfront for the patient to know what to expect. Now, this may not completely help with calming down anxiety when a result has landed, but it uh, may give them a chance to just take a pause so that the staff, um, I, the dermatologist, can get a moment to review the result and send it in to the patient. And so with that said, we do release our results immediately to patients when they come back. My staff are in close communication with me, as well as with our dermatopathologists. One big thing that can happen is if a confusing diagnosis is coming down the line, we're in very close contact with each other. If I know a melanoma is uh, about to be diagnosed, it's communication from the dermatopathologist to me that helps me to just get ahead of that and allow me to respond to the patient in a very timely manner. And that, again, will help to just prevent any anxiety among all parties involved. One other thing too, Dr. Torres, my staff also, one benefit too is with staff and good training and really with experience, they are empowered to really get back to patients in a timely manner or for those queries in which they don't know the answer, they can at least help patients understand that, oh yeah, yeah we completely are aware of this result it has arrived, but we just haven't had a chance to re review it. We will be getting back to you as soon as possible. Excellent. No, I, I agree. I think communication is the key here. And really is, even though you explain things, patients may not always understand, but at least if you've communicated some of it ahead of time, in terms of what's going to happen, it'll make it a little easier when the process happens. 
So yes. let's talk a little bit. At, you know, I mentioned earlier that there are some exceptions to this rule blocking. Tell us about those exceptions. When, if at all, is it okay not to share patient information? Yeah, so the information blocking rule is designed to require that all covered actors share all electronic health information unless an exception can be applied. So the rule lays out a set of exceptions, uh, which include uh, situations in which you're trying to prevent harm, to protect patient privacy, when there are security issues involved, when it's infeasible to share information or results, and when there are problems with software. So the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Technology website also specifically lists the conditions that must be met before these types of exceptions are applied. And if a misapplication of these exceptions occurs, uh, they'll be evaluated on a case-to-case -case basis. And you can be sure that a lot of those sort of criteria or conditions are gonna be taken into account. So I really suggest to my dermatologist colleagues listening that they become familiar with those conditions if they haven't done so already. And uh, for those times where you're not sure if they apply, you can go back and review them and you can determine if and when they are appropriate to apply. So how does a dermatologist go about becoming familiar with these conditions, this list of conditions? Yeah, so as I mentioned, there's information on the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Technology. One other area that can be quite helpful with additional links is going to the AAD website itself. We have a wonderful link. I'll share it here and I'll share it again towards the end, but it's www.aad.org forward slash info dash blocking. And so you're going to hear a lot about what we've talked about today there, but also some additional links and some information about exceptions to the information blocking rule when it's permissible. Very good. So let me ask you this. Have you ever applied any of these exceptions and how did that play out for you? I have not actually, but that said, I'm familiar with the situations. I guess I'm fortunate in that they haven't arisen. They can be very difficult situations. I do know that should a situation like that arrive, I would definitely go to the resources that we've talked about in order to just make sure that I'm doing the right thing for not only myself, my staff to, to protect us to make sure that, that we are practicing good medicine, but also for the benefit and safety of the patient. And so, though I have not experienced it myself, I, I guess I'm ready for it. Yeah. And I think I, what I would add to that is that if people are going to apply one of these exceptions, they should do it in a timely manner. You know, what you don't yes. want to do is kind of hold it and just wait and wait and wait. You need to do things in a timely manner nowadays, I think. All right, let me ask you this. What advice would you give to your fellow dermatologists, right, on meeting the compliance requirements set out by the ONC, our, our Office of the National Coordinator, while exercising their best judgment? You're going to take into account the overall rules, but also our own practice patterns. So one thing I look to is, some advice from the American Medical Associations, and that, according to them, on how to practice, it's physicians should strike a balance between strict regulatory compliance and ex exercising his or her independent professional judgment. And that's guided by both personal and professional beliefs as to what is in the best interest of patients, the profession, and the community. So I believe that uh, dermatologists should also take this into account this can be a bit difficult. These are rules that can be difficult to interpret, but we do owe it to ourselves and to our patients to take a moment and really take into account the entire context when applying the rules and deciding how stringently they apply to a particular situation. Excellent. Well, you've provided some excellent information for us today. 
Can you tell us what you would say are the key takeaways that you want dermatologists to remember at the end of all of this conversation? For sure. So I'd say it all, a lot of it boils down to communication. And I think that's something we'd agree with, not only for the purposes of information blocking, but just patient care. So when I say communication, it's talking to the patient about patient portals and the benefits thereof, and helping them to understand how patients, patient portals work, how it can work to their benefit, and how sometimes they work so quickly that it can sometimes get them results before you're able to respond or, or even evaluate the result. And so that kind of open communication just helps to set expectations so that we can use portals to the maximum ability and allow patients to really engage in their own care. We talked a lot, I think, about the patient aspect, but I will say portals have also alleviated a number of burdens. I think with patients being able to look up their information, to be able to review information, I do think that it's helped to head off certain types of messages or phone calls that previously would have added to the burden of messages that my uh, staff as well as myself had to deal with. And then one other aspect that's really helpful from all this is that there are great educational tools that you can provide to your patients through portals. And there are also excellent educational tools provided by the AAD. So as I mentioned earlier, there's this wonderful website. It's uh, www.aad.org forward slash info dash blocking. And there you're just going to get some more information about this topic. And you're going to be able to see some other articles, read some other articles that go into some of these topics in depth in terms of applying it to your clinic. Well, thank you very much for a very um, comprehensive yet succinct presentation. And is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners that I have not asked you about? You know, healthcare is evolving very quickly. I think portals are really new. It's I've, We've used them for a bit of time now, you know, a year or two, more so than in the past. And it's an evolving process. I think that requires a little bit of patience, but I think um, we play such a big role in how they're implemented and ensuring that these sort of technological solutions are to the advantage of, of both ourselves, the dermatologists, but, and also our patients. Yeah, and, and I agree. And, and I think, you know, one of the best things actually is as a physician, if you, when, when you're a patient yourself, you appreciate a lot of times what the physician has to do and what's important and what you want from your physician. So I've learned my own experience as a patient when I've used the portals, how nice it is for me to get that information. So I, I encourage all the physicians out there too, if they get a chance, go into your own patient portal and take a look and see, and you can get an idea of what you would like and what you may wanna give your patients as well. Well, Dr. Wen, thank you very much for, again, a very informative presentation. And I look forward to perhaps seeing another time that we can have you speak on another topic as well. Thanks very much. It was a pleasure to be here. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.